0: Father in heaven, in your word, you have commanded us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And Lord, as we travel through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it is easy sometimes for us to come on Sunday and have our minds massaged, uh, but then go out from this place really unchanged. I pray that that would not be the case, that your Holy Spirit would come today and Make us uncomfortable, if that is your pleasure. Um, Help us, Lord, for our own good and for your glory to be doers of this word. And we thank you, Lord, that we can gather in this public place and open uh, the family book together and hear your voice. And I pray, dear God, that I would decrease now as you would increase, that you would speak to each of us, including the preacher And Lord, that we would go forward from this place uh, with your perspective and with a fresh uh, encouragement and will uh, to obey. We pray these things in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, some of you know, I was in Edmonton a few weeks ago uh, to visit with family. And when I was there, one night I had supper uh, with my mother and uh, two siblings And we started to reminisce about old times. And one of the stories that came up was a story about my brother, who would have been about 10 at the time that this particular event uh, took place. He and another friend decided that they would go into the ravine that was not too far from our house uh, with matches and light a fire under a giant spruce tree that was fairly dry and you can sort of predict what happened. Of course, uh, the entire ravine started on fire. They lost control of the fire uh, to the point that the fire trucks came out. And uh, after a brief conversation with the firemen, my brother ran home with tears flowing, burst into our house, and said to my... My mom asked him, "What's, what's wrong? And his reply was, Somebody is burning nature down. (laughs) And my mom bought it. She thought that she had the most sensitive boy on her hands, a kid who cared so much about nature that he wept when nature was threatened. Well, the really funny part of that story is that my parents didn't find out what actually happened until years and years later. And at that point, after the initial kind of shock of the revelation, uh, we all had a good laugh about it. But I tell that true story to make a point, and the point has to do with my brother's Oscar-worthy performance and the motivation behind that performance. His play-acting, in that instance, was done in order that he would avoid trouble from Mom. His intent was to avoid punishment, and so to achieve that desired result, he pretended to be something that he wasn't. Now, I should point out here, I actually asked my brother, is it okay if I tell this story? He said, fine, but make sure they know I'm not such a bad guy. So so I want to say that he he turned out pretty well. He's a husband. uh, He's got three kids. He's a general practitioner, Um, there's hope for kids who play with matches and burn ravines down. In our next section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus puts his laser beam on the same sort of thing that my brother had done in that story. The same sort of thing that all of us do at one time or another, and that is play-acting or pretending in order to achieve a selfish result. Faking something in order to achieve a self-focused result. Jesus puts his finger now on that all-too-human tendency, and in the process, he calls us here to a better path. Let's go to the text. Hope you have a Bible open at Matthew 6. Jesus begins in Matthew 6.1 by saying, beware. Now that verb, beware, is an imperative verb in the Greek, meaning it's a command. And the particular form of the verb in the Greek indicates to us that the action of the verb is to be a continual action. So beware now and continue to be aware. Have vigilance now and keep having vigilance. Pay attention now and continue to pay attention. And what is it that we are to pay attention to continually or be aware of continually? Well, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness That is, in the context, beware of practicing your good deeds that are done in the service of God. Beware of practicing your actions of piety before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, this statement hangs like a thesis statement or like a banner over the first 18 verses of chapter 6, where Jesus will talk in turn about giving alms, praying, and fasting. We are to be continually vigilant as his disciples so that we don't engage these practices of giving, praying, and and fasting in order to be seen by others. Now, what I want us to notice very carefully here is this. you listening? Jesus does not say in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Full stop. Notice this. He doesn't say that only. The issue at hand here is not... That we will perform these acts of religious piety in front of other people. After all, Jesus himself often practiced acts of religious piety in front of other people. The issue here is not about having to hide our good deeds from others all the time. Friends, it's okay to be seen giving and it's okay to be seen praying, etc. Rather, the issue here is the motivation behind practicing these acts of religious piety in front of other people. The motivation or the intent. Notice this very carefully. The issue is right there. Uh, on the third line on the screen with that phrase, in order to be seen by them. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. The issue that Jesus is getting at here is, what is the intent of your heart and of my heart when we give in public? Or when we pray in public. Or when we raise our hands in worship in public. Or when we preach in public, etc. That's his focus. Now my brother, getting back to that story, he had lied to my mom in order to avoid punishment. That was his intent, avoiding punishment. Because that, in his understanding, was the hoped-for payoff. Avoiding punishment for starting that fire was the personal benefit that he would receive if he lied about what really went down. So he lied. He pretended to be upset about the fact that somebody else <laughs> had started the fire. Well, in our verse, the payoff in doing good deeds of righteousness before others comes from being seen by others. The payoff in being seen by others is the ego fulfillment that comes from the applause of others. A sense of self-aggrandizement. If others witness this act of piety that I'm performing, they will think, wow, that person is sure godly. Is sure holy. And it will puff me up. My personal reputation will grow. Listen, friends. Jesus knows us all too well. Amen? To use the words of Scott McKnight, Jesus knows that there lurks in each of us, don't look around at anybody else, and I won't either, there lurks in each of us a desire to be congratulated for our religious deeds. Yes? It's quiet, but I'll take the smattering of yeses as a good thing. (laughs) Now, isn't this a painful diagnosis here? Well, we should thank God for it. Jesus knows that sometimes we give in order to be seen Giving. Jesus knows that sometimes we pray in public in order to be seen praying. Jesus knows that the praise of others can easily become more important to us than the praise of God. He's putting his finger here on the internal motives of our heart when we engage in public deeds of religious piety. And what he desires for us here, we should note, is something redemptive. He desires a situation where right deeds from us are matching up with right intentions on the inside of us. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then, Jesus says, you will have... How much of a reward? No reward. From who? From your Father who is in heaven. Listen carefully. If enhancing our personal reputation is the motivation behind our public acts of piety, if we pray in order to be known for praying, Or if we give in order to be known for giving, then, says Jesus, we will have no reward from our Father who is in heaven. The question here is, why would God reward an action whose motive was the bolstering of our own personal reputation? If we aim at an increased reputation in our public acts of piety, we might get that increased reputation. There's our reward. Why would God reward something or approve of something that was done for the purposes of serving our own ego rather than serving him? Now, do notice here very carefully what is implied, what is implied at the end of verse 1. When Jesus says that God will not reward our self-serving acts of piety, it implies to us, does it not, that God sees all with a penetrating vision. God knows all. God knows the very depths of our hearts, and he sees constantly. He knows what our actual intentions are, even if we are successful in hiding those intentions from other people. Even if we have been Oscar-worthy, convincing in our acting so that other people view us now as selfless and pious when in fact we're far from it. God is not fooled. Take that home. God is not fooled and God will not reward our play acting. And so with this in mind, the greatest preacher of the twentieth of, of English greatest English speaking preacher, I should say, of the twentieth century, Martin Lloyd Jones, gives us this sage advice. He says, It is not a bad thing to say to ourselves every morning, through the whole of this day, everything I do and say and attempt and think and imagine is going to be done under the eye of God. Yes. I think if we did that every morning and remembered it during the day with the help of the Holy Spirit, it would truly change our entire approach to life. Amen? Let's go forward to verse 2. Now notice Jesus fleshes out his thesis statement in verse 1 by giving us his first example in this longer passage. And this first example has to do with giving alms. He says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, what I want to point out here for starters is a point that's made often by commentators on this verse, and that is that Jesus says, notice very carefully, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. In other words, Jesus assumes here, does he not, that we will give to the needy. It's when, not if. And the phrase in this verse, give to the needy, in the original Greek, is literally, do alms. Jesus says, when you do alms, sound no trumpet. What are alms? When a person gave alms in the day of Jesus, that person was giving in mercy to another person or persons who were poor, And needy to give alms was to serve your needy or poor neighbor out of compassion and out of mercy in a society like the one that Jesus lived in. There was no government assistance for the poor and the needy. And there were a tremendous amount of people who were poor and needy. And so the needs of those people were taken up and addressed by the community. Giving alms or almsgiving was a crucially part crucial part of one's service to God. As Jonathan Pennington says, almsgiving was considered essential to what it means to be a faithful person. As Scott McKnight says, almsgiving, at least in the minds of many during Jesus' time on earth, had become the singular act of piety. And it's important to note here that as Jesus talks about almsgiving in our passage, he is not pulling this concept out of thin air. Rather, the idea of almsgiving had a long history in Judaism. God had performed an unmerited act of deliverance for a weak group of Hebrew people. And that unmerited act of deliverance was the exodus out of Egypt. In great mercy, God had brought that deliverance to a most needy people. And after the exodus... Many passages given in the Torah declared that God expected, listen, God expected from his redeemed people a similar God-like pattern of mercy. His people were to exercise mercy toward the poor and needy who were in their midst. And we see the connection, you can look these passages up later if you like, we see the connection between God's merciful act in the Exodus and the command for his people to act in a similar pattern of mercy in places like Leviticus 25 verses 35 through 38 and Deuteronomy 24 verses 18 through 22. But then we also have explicit statements throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible that Jesus knew so well. We have explicit statements, commandments from God to give alms, to mercifully give to the poor and needy. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and 8. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Deuteronomy 15:11. there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy And to the poor in your land. Leviticus 19.10. I love this. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now we could cite many examples here, friends. The point again is that in addressing almsgiving here in Matthew 6, Jesus was addressing a well-known, long-practiced, highly regarded act of piety. Let's go back to what he says. He says, When you do alms, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. <laughs> As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Now, Jesus paints here a rather humorous picture. Did you know that Jesus is a humorous guy at times? I always say in Bible study, there's a long history of humor within Judaism. It starts way back here and goes all the way to Seinfeld and beyond. He paints a rather humorous picture here. The picture is of a person who is about to give alms. So the person may be, pretend in your mind's eye, you can picture this person. He's got a bag of coins in his hand. And in front of that person walks a group of trumpet players blowing their horns. Da, 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 da. Announcing the presence of the alms giver. The picture is one where the almsgiver is announcing his merciful deed, where he or she is calling attention to himself or herself. Look at me. Look at my giving. See how pious I am. And the motive or the intent that the almsgiver has, says Jesus at the end of this verse, is what? To be praised by others. Ouch. (laughs) So the trumpets are employed for the ultimate purpose of the almsgiver receiving praise from onlookers. Praise for his public, pious action. In fact, the Greek word here is glorified. The person's goal is to be glorified by other people so that the desire of this kind of person is very clear. This kind of person doesn't actually desire to meet the needs of the poor. As much as she wants to aggrandize herself, to bolster her reputation in front of people as being a particularly pious soul. And now each of us, it doesn't matter who you are, each of us can very easily be guilty of this. And Jesus knows that, hence this portion of his sermon. Jesus has a name for this kind of person. Watch this. The the word that he uses in this verse is what? Hypocrite. (laughs) So drawing attention to oneself while doing acts of piety in order to be praised by others is what hypocrites do. Jesus uses this word, hypocrites, for the scribes and Pharisees an awful lot in the Gospel of Matthew. The word in Greek, which is Hippocrates, was a word in Jesus' day that was used in the world of theater to refer to an actor on a stage who wore a mask, someone pretending as they played a role. Charles Quarles is very helpful here in defining Jesus' use of the word in Matthew 6.2. Quarles says... The hypocrites to whom Jesus referred were spiritual play actors who pretended to have a piety that they did not actually possess in order to inspire the applause of a human audience. Jesus says here at the end of the verse, truly, amen in Hebrew. He uses amen at the the beginning of what he says, not at the end like we do. Amen. Truly I say to you, this hypocrite, this kind of person, has received his or her reward. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that if human applause is what a person aims for as they give alms, that human applause is the totality of their reward. They have received their reward. There will be no additions to the reward. If a person seeks reputation among peers as they publicly give alms, then whatever reputation they achieve is their full reward. They have received their reward. The Greek, the Greek verb here that's translated received in this verse, is a very interesting one. It was actually used in the commercial world. The word means to receive in full what is due. I noticed in the, in the version that Jonathan read, uh, it, it said something like received in full. That's a good translation. The idea is paid in full. Jesus says the person who draws attention to self as that person undertakes a pious action in order to be praised by others, has been paid in full. The account is closed. They got their praise from people and no further reward is due. You wanted praise from others, you have it. God will not be on the scene to further reward such actions in any way, shape, or form. Let's go to verse 3. But when you give, and here the word you is in the emphatic position in the text. When you disciple, when you do alms, when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, as an exercise, seventh inning stretch, everybody put their left hand up in the air for a minute. All right. Now put your right hand up. All right. Are your two hands part of yourself? Yes. Okay, now you can put your hands down. What Jesus is saying here is that yourself, represented by your two hands, must not be the focus when you give to the needy. Your focus must not be to be seen by others, verse 1, which is a self-focus. And your focus must not be to be praised by others, verse 2, which is also a self-focus focus. We need to have as disciples what Dan Doriani has called, and I love this phrase, a blissful lack of self-consciousness when we give. Because you see, self-consciousness, and he and John Stott have both pointed this out, self-consciousness can easily decay into self-righteousness. Rather, the focus in our giving is what? Our focus in giving is, first of all, on the needy person to whom we are giving. And our focus in giving, more importantly, is God, whose very life is about mercy to the needy. So I want to ask you, will you join me this week in praying to God for forgetfulness? It's not something that you usually pray for, but I want to ask you to join me in praying for forgetfulness. Ask God to help you forget yourself in this matter of giving to the needy. Almsgiving is to be about mercy that flows in an outward direction, not about personal vanity that curves in on itself. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones helps us as he analyzes our human tendency to perform acts of piety in a self-conscious way. We all do it. To paraphrase Lloyd-Jones, I won't read the whole quote, but to paraphrase him, he says, Okay, fine. Maybe you've moved past the stage of drawing attention to yourself from others as you do your acts of religious piety. But still, when you perform such actions, in your thinking, you are still careful to note the merit of what you've done. He says you put an extra mark in a special column where exceptional merit is recorded. In the words of John Stott, what we do often, friends, is we take deliberate steps to keep our giving secret from people while simultaneously dwelling on it in our own minds in a spirit of self-congratulation. I've done this countless times. Lloyd-Jones says, when Jesus says here, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, he's saying, get rid of that personal accounting book altogether. Get rid of your little personal diary of spiritual accomplishments. It's really still too self-focused. Lloyd-Jones says, leave the account book of your life to God And to God alone, your job as a disciple is to forget self and focus on him, to be so enamored with God, to see him as your greatest treasure, to see that his love is so great and that your sharing of that love is the thing, to be that way so that you have no time to think about yourself. How do we get there? How do we move to such self-forgetfulness? I think the answer is lots of time on our faces before God praying and practice. There was a time in my late teens and early 20s when, as a serious-minded musician, I would practice up to six hours a day. Now, those days are long gone. As a drummer, one of the things that you aim for is equality between your right hand and your left hand. Now, I'm right-handed. My right hand is my strong hand. So I always found that my left hand was dumber than my right hand, slower, less responsive than my right hand. So I worked and I worked on getting my left hand to a place where it was more or less as strong and as responsive as my right hand. And then you come to a place, at long last, after a ton of practice, where you are not entirely, but relatively happy with your weaker hand. You stop thinking about that hand so much. You're not conscious of that hand like you once were. You can just attend to the music, let the music happen, and forget about your hand. But only after lots and lots of practice. Disciples we need to practice the way we approach our acts of piety and righteousness so that by and by we forget self and attend to the music. It doesn't come easy at first for fallen people to forget self in this matter. But with lots of prayer and lots of practice and the help of the Spirit of God, we can come to a place where self-forgetfulness and God-centeredness become second nature, where self-awareness in our actions is replaced with God-awareness. All right. Verse 3, again, leading into verse 4. We're giving a hearing to Jesus. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus has just warned us about drawing attention to ourselves in our acts of piety in order to be praised by others. Verse 2. He followed that up with a word against being internally self-conscious, concerning our acts of piety, verse 3. Now in verse 4, notice, twice he uses the word secret. He wants our giving to the needy to be in secret so that the Father who sees in secret will reward us. Now in the context of this passage, the word secret must mean no attention is to be drawn to ourselves Either externally from others or internally from ourselves. That's what he's after. There's a sense that our giving to the needy should be hidden from both others and from ourselves. Unselfconscious, secret. And our Father in heaven sees in that secret place. Yes, 1 Samuel 16 7, he looks on the heart. And nobody else sees the heart except for God. And when he sees our acts of piety done unselfconsciously, there is a reward from him, according to Jesus. What's the reward? Well, I am in agreement with John Stott here, who gets his conclusion on what the reward is from C.S. Lewis. I think the reward here, and I want you to listen carefully, I think the reward here, as we give to the needy in an unselfconscious way, the reward is seeing the need relieved. That's the reward. Listen to John Stott here. He's very helpful. He says this, The reward in Matthew 6-4 is neither public nor necessarily future. He says, it is probably the only reward which genuine love wants when making a gift to the needy, namely, to see the need relieved. When through gifts the hungry are fed, the naked clothed, the sick healed, the oppressed freed, and the lost saved. The love which prompted the gift is satisfied. Such love, he says, such love which is God's own love expressed through a person, brings with it its own secret joys and desires no other reward. Jesus has said to us this morning, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, as we end this today, I want to challenge you to really be aware this week, and I will too, of our motives get brutally honest with yourself beware of excessive self-consciousness and beware of the tendency to seek your own honor you know a red flag that you may be seeking your own honor too much a red flag is when you grumble because your actions aren't noticed It's a red flag that maybe you're seeking your own honor a little bit too much. Or when you feel irked because somebody else got the credit that you think you deserved, that may also be a sign that you're seeking your own honor too much. Or when you get very upset because somebody isn't falling in line with your wishes Your agenda, it may be a warning sign that your own honor has become too great a priority. Pray for forgetfulness of self and practice God-focused, God-directed righteousness. And remember also this, that your identity is not to be found in the achievements of self or the aggrandizement of self. It's not to be found there, but rather your identity as a disciple is located in the achievements and in the glory of Jesus Christ. We want to take time for some silent, reflective prayer on this word for a few moments, and then when the time is right, I will close us out. So let's bow our heads and deal with God. Father, we thank you for this penetrating word that divides bones and marrow, cuts to the deepest levels of who we are. Perform surgery, to to quote Robert's term earlier, perform surgery on us that is a redemptive surgery, even though painful, so that we would flourish and become the kind of people that you desire. Lord, may your Holy Spirit work this further into our hearts and minds uh, this day and this week as we go from here. And uh, keep us on the path of righteousness. Help us, Lord, to see the benefit and the glory in obeying your commands. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.